And welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles, Pickles, and UA Sports Marketing. This is, once again, your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. I guess we're not sitting in the same place, uh, at least not for this episode. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm good, man. We are uh, we are thriving in our social distancing uh, life, which, speaking of, you are not just joined by me. You are also joined by Harper, my daughter, who who's breathing, I hope you can't hear, in, in this microphone. Can you hear her breathing? I personally can't, but even okay. if you did, it's totally fine. We've, we've dealt with worse uh, up at the studio, so. It's true. It's true. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, Harper, you don't cause a, a disaster for this podcast we're trying to record, okay? Could you could you be good for me, please? Well, She's not really giving me much response, so I, I guess I'm going to be uh, asking her opinion on several topics, so I hope she's ready to share. Okay. Yeah, she she has a lot of thoughts about Alabama football. That much is that much is clear. Um, so we uh we have a lot to get to in in this episode. We're uh, I guess we have to change the name of this spring preview series since we don't really have a spring to preview anymore. I mean, I guess it's technically possible that Alabama plays some spring practice, gets a few practices in, but as both. Uh, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey and Alabama Athletic Director Greg Byrne said in their recent teleconferences with media, neither of those uh, people believe spring practice to be very likely in Tuscaloosa. So I guess it's not a spring practice preview anymore, but um, we are going to continue that series by breaking down special teams um, later on. But obviously the uh, the the world at large and the nation and the the sporting scene here in America has uh, has bigger topics at, at hand. So we're gonna we're gonna spend a few minutes taking a look at the COVID nineteen cancellations and what all of that means for for college athletics, uh, especially in the SEC and at, and at Alabama. Before we take a break and then move on to the the special teams at, at Bama to continue those those breakdowns. So I've been. Uh, I don't know about you, Clint, but the whole social distancing, self-quarantine thing causes a certain level of of boredom. I imagine most people are more bored than I am because I'm constantly changing diapers and feeding babies. But have you been have you been bored in in this time? Well, I mean, I actually just started on that radio show up in North Alabama. So my schedule has been pretty hectic. We've continued on with the website, Roll Tide Wire, on top of the radio show. And then, of course, of course, we're trying to get these Bama Beat episodes recorded, and we weren't sure when we would be able to go back to work. Uh, I guess we figured out, I guess it was about a week ago, that that would probably not be happening. I'm glad we're getting recorded this episode. Finally, we said, hey, we got to keep uh, sharing content with the listeners. Um, but, yeah, it's been very strange. Just I don't think I've seen more than five people uh, this entire week. And for me, that's just it's very weird. But at the same time um, – you know, it's necessary, I guess you'd say. Yeah, it's it's atypical for for sure to be living life this way, especially for people like us who are in the in the people business to a certain extent, um, generating content on people after all. Uh, but in in some of this kind of idle minded time, I, I've thought about spring practice. And in the past, I've, I've kind of made references to the fact that spring football as, an, as a whole just kind of makes my eyes glaze over. You know, the whole thing is, I mean, put it this way, 
media covering spring practice is not reflective of the importance of spring practice. It's reflective of people's interest in spring practice. If that, if that makes sense, like, I don't know that anything about a program is made or broken in, in spring practice, but people are always interested in football. So there's, there are things to write in and stories to storylines to go through and expose and, and all of that. So we cover it and that's all, that's all fine and good. I think people can put a little too much importance on, on spring ball at times, but I, I want to get your thought on two things about this. First, I think it it's pretty clear to me that any any program that is undergoing change both at the head co- head coach position or the coordinator position is severely hindered by by all of this because when you're putting in a new system on either side of the ball, this spring practice time can be really, really valuable and really important. Um, to install some of those those schemes so that when you start up uh, fall camp and first of August, you're not going in completely blind. They do have some exposure and knowledge of, of what you're trying to teach them. So I, I, so you look in the SEC at places like Missouri, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and especially Mississippi State with how drastic of a scheme change they're taking on from a pretty ba- – not basic, but a, a normal, I guess, RPO-based spread that Joe Moorhead ran, ran and even the, the run-based spread that, that Dan Mullen ran before him. You're going from all of that to – Probably the one of very few, if not the only true air raid in in college football. I guess Graham Harrell, the OC at USC, comes pretty close. And and Seth Luttrell has some air raid stuff, but he's not true air raid. He's the head coach in North Texas. Mike Leach is probably the only true full-on air raid guy in FBS college football right now. So that's a very drastic change and they would very much benefit from, from spring football. So while even I, as someone who kind of downplays the importance of spring football a little bit, uh, I, I can see where not having spring football at those places is particularly devastating. So that's, that's my first thought. And I, I kind of want to get your, your opinion on, on the importance of spring football or the lack thereof in this case and where it impacts some programs more than others. But I also want you to kind of tailor that to Alabama. And I just find it interesting that if we, if we both agree with that assertion that coaching turnover is going to, it's going to be more difficult to turn coaching turnover into immediate success in 2020 than it has been in most other seasons because of this lack of spring practice, right? If we're, if we're agreeing with that assumption and that assertion, I think it's, it's fascinating or funny or just interesting that Alabama, a program that has been, I mean, not defined by it, it's been defined by a lot of things, but it's been one of the things that has defined it over recent years is all of the coaching turnover that has taken over in the last three years and how its coaching staff is constantly shuffling. And in this offseason, where coaching turnover is more it, it's it's more difficult to overcome than in any other offseason due to the lack of spring football thanks to COVID-19. This is the offseason where Alabama doesn't have that. It only had one on-field position coach change over over the offseason. So I just find it funny and interesting that a program that is kind of used to pretty significant position coach churn over the years, there comes an offseason where 
coaching change turns, there is a, a case to be made that coaching change turn is going to be more difficult this year than in any other. And this is the year that Alabama kind of avoids that, that monkey on the back. So what do you, how do you, how do you react to all that? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And it's from a coaching turnover standpoint, uh, this was the year that Alabama certainly needed to retain both of its offensive coordinator and its defensive coordinator and a lot of those position coaches. Now they, they lost a couple, they got a few new coming in, but this is about the perfect year for this sort of thing to happen. I mean, you know, it's obviously still very bad, but in comparison to a lot of other SEC programs, um, I think that it actually is gives Alabama a slight advantage, um, but it goes beyond just coaching changes. I think, you know, when you're talking about Bryce Young trying to win the starting quarterback job over a guy, a seasoned guy like Mac Jones, him not getting the spring to get uh, live reps with the offense – um, really try to start to get the feel, uh, feel for the speed of the game, things like that is going to hurt him. You're talking about teams like Georgia with Jamie Newman. He's trying to come in and learn an entirely new system. He's not going to be able to do that in the spring. A guy like Miles Brennan with LSU has been in the program for quite a long time, but he's now trying to take over and get those starter reps and really start getting comfortable and, and getting chemistry with the offense that's breaking in a ton of new starters on both sides of the football. Um, you know, you are talking about uh, K.J. Costello is transferring into Mississippi State, uh, Tennessee with Harrison Bailey. A lot of fans are hoping that he's a very talented freshman. They're hoping that he can come in and really push Jarrett Garantano for the starting job. I mean, I could go on and on with all these SEC teams that are having quarterback changes or, you know, trying to break in a new starter uh, or there's at least a competition. I think for, from Mac Jones' perspective, this sort of thing happening – really benefits him because he does have a lot of familiarity with the system. He's got starting reps. He's gained the confidence of the locker room. And for a guy like Bryce Young, this really sets him back through no fault of his own. But it's something that we have to look at and really start to take into account um, when evaluating who's going to be Alabama starter, who's going to be some of the starters at, at some of these other schools. It could end up playing a, a pretty significant factor. No, that's a, that's a good point and a good observation. And, I mean, on the team aspect of things, like the the macro um, perspective of things, the whole first-year coaches and, and all of that applies. But when you take it to the micro, to the individual players, you're, you're absolutely right that spring can be more important for some players than it is others. And obviously quarterbacks trying to take a stranglehold of a, of a position of a starting job can – can definitely benefit from from spring, as you made a good point there with with Bryce Young and several other quarterbacks around the SEC. So Bryce Young is definitely an individual that is absolutely negatively impacted by the fact that uh, in all likelihood there's not going to be any spring practice at Alabama. Um, looking at some others who you could probably make the same case for, I would say I would probably look at Dylan Moses and Joshua McMillan in that regard, just because people who are recovering from the knee operations that they had back in back in August, a lot of times there's a mental hurdle there where players have to go through the motions and and really do it on their newly constructed knees to kind of feel confident in in their knees and in their health as as a whole. And I can see where spring practice, to whatever extent Dylan Moses and Joshua McMillan would have been involved in spring practice, they could have absolutely benefited from that and maybe gotten that confidence in their newfound knees over a few practices in 
in the spring as opposed to having to do that in, in preseason camp. So there's a case to be made that those two guys could have benefited from from spring practice from a mental standpoint uh, in terms of confidence in their injuries or, or their uh, newly uh, fixed injuries. And then obviously all the uh, early enrollee freshmen. I mean, they they would generally get a uh, get a certain advantage over the rest of their recruiting class in terms of immediate playing time because they got spring practice and that that advantage is more or less um, gone at this point. Now, I mean, they they got to work out in January and February, which is not nothing, but it's also not the significant advantage and development period that that one would get in a full slate of, of 15 spring practices. Can you think of anyone else on on the Alabama front in terms of individuals that would probably be negatively impacted significantly by the fact that we're not going to have spring practice in Tuscaloosa this year, other than the the guys we've already laid out, which is Bryce Young, the two linebackers coming over, knee injuries, and the early enrollee freshmen. Anyone else come to mind for you? Well, you know, in particular with the early enrollees, um, you know, the edge players, I really think they need to get a lot out of that group. And they had three of the four edge rushers that they brought in in this recruiting class were early enrollees, so it was really going to help them to have the spring. And, you know, now they don't have that. So, That'll be really interesting to see if some of these veteran guys. Obviously, Christopher Allen is considered a front runner for one of the starting jobs, but a, a guy like uh, King Wakuda, um, Kevin Harris, uh, Jerez Parks, you know, will they have, you know, a, a better chance at earning significant reps for a starting job opposite Christopher Allen because of this? I, I do think that's a possibility, especially early on. But it's also, you know, some of those young linebackers. I really wanted a guy like Christian Harris who kind of struggled a little bit you know, grasping the ins and outs of the defense. And, and there were certain situations where he looked absolutely phenomenal, but he just needed more seasoning uh, in the system. And every single rep, you know, the entire spring, him getting that would have certainly continued, continued him on the path of being in a good position to make a much bigger impact for Alabama's defense this season. And Shane Lee gets it between the years, but getting him with the strength and conditioning coaches and maybe trying to drop a little bit of weight to get him some more functional athleticism, um, and and just not having any of these guys available with the new strength and conditioning coaches where they can start to work some of their magic that they're trying to implement heading into this season. I think that's another crucial factor, and I do worry about the conditioning of, of a lot of these players. When you talk about them not having a chance to, to get out there um, and, and have a coach's hand on their uh, stamina and their conditioning – I think that could end up being somewhat concerning, especially the further along that we get in the offseason. If, you know, th- there's plenty of guys who kind of sometimes struggle with weight. There's guys who need to continue to add weight because they're young. Some of those young early enrollees, getting them in the weight program and getting them stronger, adding some some weight to, to their frame, th- those were all important factors, and I don't think that's being looked at enough, um, you know, for a lot of these guys. And so I will be curious to see how Alabama and colleges really all around college football um, try to combat that. And that's if, you know, this doesn't continue well into June, July, August. And then you guys start talking about, okay, we're not going to be able to have these guys from a physical standpoint prepared for the, for the grind of a, a, a season, and especially in the SEC with how physical it is. They're going to have to start talking about maybe pushing the season back or cutting back some games. And that's a very scary thought. And, you know, hopefully – this stuff is resolved by, you know, June, like some are predicting or some are hoping. 
and Alabama can kind of get back into school during the summer, get back to being conditioned fairly well, and then kind of launch things in the fall camp, and they can take it from there. And that would certainly be a best-case scenario right now. Um, but there's just so many factors involved, and there's, you know, I don't think anybody predicted the NBA season would get canceled. Or, you know, and really once that happened, all these other professional uh, uh, sports started canceling their seasons. College basketball was canceled. I just don't think anybody ever really saw. People talked about it, mentioned, oh, you know, if this if the concerns are correct, that could end up forcing the hand of some of these decision makers. And, and it could be a potentially big problem. But no one, I don't think, really thought that was going to happen. And I think it kind of shell shocked everybody that it happened to all these spring sports, but for, you know, especially the Southeast with where the SEC is located, but really all over, um, all over the place, football rules America. We all know that. So even though a lot of these spring sports were getting canceled and people were extremely disappointed, they still had football to fall back on. And okay, we just got to get through the off season and get the football season and all will be right with the world. Well, now that's starting to be threatened as well. And so there, there is growing concern and, We'll just kind of have to see how it plays out. You're, you're right, and I think your I think your observation about the the timeline of when this is solved as as a pandemic is is really important here. Like uh, you mentioned that you don't think the you don't think the kind of physical conditioning aspect of of these players and not having spring football and, and the traditional summer workout routine is is not being uh, discussed enough. And I do think if this is resolved, say, by early June or middle of June, and, and we can kind of slowly return to our normal as a as a country um, around that time. I do think you'll see some modifications made to the pre-existing preseason practice schedule or the access that coaches are allowed to have with players and how much they're allowed to do. Because like you said, an SEC football season or any uh, Division One football season, FBS or FCS, is a serious grind that you have to take a long time to prepare your body for. And that was something uh, the AD, Greg Byrne, mentioned on his teleconference with media uh, Thursday morning. Hi, Harper. You okay? All right. Um, Thursday morning, his teleconference with, with media, um, he said that he and Saban have had some discussions about things that may need to be done in order to physically prepare their players for for a full on season. Um, so you might see some changes to and this is the most optimistic timeline, I think, is that we kind of start to return to normal maybe around end of May, beginning of June, and then you start to see you start to see changes to the preseason schedule because most of the time coaches are pretty hands off between spring ball and the beginning of preseason practice in late July, early August. You might see some changes to the schedule just for one year only, obviously, to allow coaches to kind of make up for their lack of spring ball and, and help get these athletes' bodies ramped up for, for the rigors of a football season. So you might see some things change in that regard. Uh, but that's the most optimistic timeline. And if that doesn't happen, right, if we don't get a grip on on this thing by then, then your uh, worst case scenario of the actual calendar of the football season being impacted is, is very much in play, which is when I need to take a second to get on my soapbox and say, get inside, y'all go home, 
stop going to the beach and doing spring break and all this other nonsense. Like, just go home. If you want American life to resume as it was before all of this, go home. Self-quarantine. Take care of yourself. Stop going to some beach in Florida and, and getting drunk with your with your idiot friends. Go home. It's not that hard, guys. It's really not. Just go home. Well, that's that's the part to me that is so frustrating is it is this is serious enough where they canceled school. They canceled a bunch of stuff. They didn't cancel it just to give people an opportunity to go you know, party on beaches and stuff. The reason that they felt the need to cancel things like school and cancel, you know, being able to go sit in restaurants because people right now can't be around other people. And I understand, you know, I was that same age at one point in my life too. And getting the opportunity to get a much, you know, uh, an extended spring break. And there was a lot of kids who had spring break plans and they're like, Hey, I'm not, I don't care what's going on. I'm not missing out. I've been looking forward to this. It's been a rough year. Um, You know, whatever the case may be. I mean, I've been there before too, but the, the the problem is is it, this is serious enough to cancel stuff and and the same people who are not taking the necessary precautions now you know in a lot of cases are going to be the ones who are the most upset about something like the college football season you know potentially getting canceled right. if that's what it comes to down the road my, so, my favorite my favorite part was there was one sound bite from one of these spring breakers who was like spring break only happened happens once a year. It's like, yeah, well, a, a global pandemic only happens once a century. So get, get your head out of your you know where. Come on. And here's the thing. By the time this stuff is supposed to be resolved, what is it supposed to be? Summer. So if, if everybody goes and locks themselves up, guess what? You've got a huge extended break where you can go do whatever you want to at that point. I don't. So, yeah. I, but at, like I said, I'll continue to reiterate. It's very hard for me to say I'm at a much different point in my life. Things such as spring break, that doesn't exist in our profession. We're grinding literally 24-7, it seems like. Um, and so it, it's very easy for me to say because I'm not the one that had to miss out on some big trip. Um, getting to go somewhere special, maybe out of the country, maybe down to the beach, getting to kind of hit the reset button. Um, so, you know, I, I, I empathize with these people, but for the safety, uh, you know, what, what happens if they, this stuff starts getting around while kids were down at spring break and they give it to their older parents and then and then a lot more serious problems happen? You know, was it was it worth it at that point? That's what you got to ask yourself is the cost versus the benefit, the potential cost. Versus the, the the seeming benefit, just to me, it doesn't line up. But a lot of these kids, like, I, like I've said a, a bunch of times, I've been there at certain points in my life. But you, when you're that age, you feel like you're invincible. And I think that's what a lot of these college kids feel like. Oh, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to my parents. Uh, you know, things like that. And it's just, you know, the, the unfortunate situation that we're in is in a lot of those cases, it probably is going to happen. And that's why everybody needs to take the necessary precautions and, you know, look at the short term sacrifices for the long term benefits. And, you know, hopefully people will start to take uh, the necessary precautions Them shutting down beaches and, and the things that they're starting to consider because people aren't listening, shutting down bars because that first week kind of after all these sporting events started getting canceled, the bars were still packed and things like that. Hopefully them doing some of those things as tough as it is. You know, I like going out and having a good time, too, but it's kind of just where we're at for Alabama and where the program is currently at. You know, my hope is that, you know, everybody continues to stay healthy and safe because if this starts getting around, I mean, 
let's be honest, I understand that Nick Saban came back from a hip injury like two days after he had surgery, but I don't think he's Superman. Um, You know, he's certainly not somebody that probably needs to get this virus just due to his age. And I understand he's probably about as healthy as you could be for someone in their, you know, mid to late 60s. But um, there's a lot of people that are very important to the Alabama program, important to college football that, you know, we, we saw Sean Payton. He apparently has it, but he doesn't seem to be showing symptoms. But that's not – there's eventually going to be somebody as unfortunate as it is that is a big name in sports that's going to probably get some kind of severe case just because of the, of the law of averages and the way this thing works. So that's kind of my rant with everything. Um, and I know that, that we kind of get off on it. We always do this, Brett. We always get off on tangents, and this one just get, tends to be a little bit more serious. It's not as fun. Well, well, it's going to be even worse now because we're bored, you know? That, that's a good point, yeah. I, all, I, all I have to do, you know, when I'm not doing, you know, the radio show and things like that is I'm just sitting around fuming, watching other people, you know, not take the precautions. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm already – I'll be mad enough if, if, if this threatens SEC media days now that Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin are in the SEC with some of these other coaches. Yeah, I'm going to be pretty upset. So my hope is not for August. My hope is for June – at, you know, at, at best, and I understand that I've kind of cut things off until June, but by July, we got to have this thing locked down because Clint Lamb <laughs> and Brett Hudson have to be in Atlanta for SEC media days. It's got to happen. I, I got to be in Atlanta for a lot of reasons, man. Atlanta's awesome. That's a good point. Hey, now it's the Todd Gurley's with the Atlanta Falcons. It's just another reason yeah. to like, and I understand this is an Alabama podcast, but you know, for any Falcons fans that listen, um, I know of a few Saints fans that I, I know listen to the podcast, and they're probably not going to be happy with that statement. But yeah, there's uh, Atlanta's by far my favorite city to go to. That's close because there's just so much to do. Nashville's a little bit further away from Birmingham. Um, New Orleans is, is obviously a, a good distance away, and Birmingham's a great place to to have fun. But it's just it's not Atlanta, man. It, it really isn't, man. If nothing else, it's not home of the of the greatest professional franchise in, in North America, Atlanta United. So there's that. Vamos, Atlanta. Um, speaking of people who kick, see, see that professional segue? I am, I am just – I am on all cylinders here. This podcast layoff has not impacted me in a negative fashion at all, clearly. We're going to get to the football players, the American football players who kick and do other – specialized tasks after the break you're listening to the bama beat podcast welcome back to the bama beat podcast brought to you by wickles pickles wickles are wickedly delicious relishes pickles okras and much more great for a quarantine by the way very versatile food and it's got a little kick to it so you can kind of inject some flavor into your life it's a family recipe that is 90 years in the making you can still find it on the pickle aisle of your local store, although you should probably be going to wicklespickles.com and getting your delicious pickle products delivered to you somehow. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. Unfortunately, we're not in the Wickles studio in the Tuscaloosa News office, but you gotta you gotta make concessions in in a crazy time like this one. So let's discuss well, let's, Alabama special. I, I want to go ahead and mention while we're still talking about Wickles. Go for it. Someone that I went to college with. Uh, Morgan Lee Lowry is her name that I saw that she was tweeting last night and she asked some people an interesting question. She said, what are some of y'all's apocalypse staple foods? I'm trying to see something. But then she immediately responded to her own tweet and said, since y'all asked what mine are, she said, I got three cheese, wickles and jello. And I was like, I am fully on board 
with the Wickles choice that would definitely be in mine nowadays. And I got to be honest, when I was in the grocery store uh, a couple of days ago, the local grocery store here in North Alabama, where I'm at for the radio show, it, uh, they had quite a bit of Wickles. And I was like, that's something that I'm stocking up on for sure. So the fridge has got at least, I think we're, I gave one to my aunt. So we're at four jars left of Wickles and I'm hoping that lasts a little while, but I can already tell it's probably not. So yeah, just uh, wanted to give that shout out because Wickles is a staple food for many people around. Well, I guess, you know, definitely the Southeast from what I've seen. And it's certainly a part of my staple apocalypse foods as well. I think we can go ahead and brand Wickles as the official pandemic fighting food of, of the United States of America. Yes, I, I, I'm completely on board with that. Right. So let's let's get to some special teams, shall we? Uh, Alabama returns its long snapper, Thomas Fletcher. That's always that's always good. Long snappers are, are like a lot of things in, in life where they're best when you don't notice them. They're they're best when you forget they're there because they're so automatic. Thomas Fletcher was was that last year and, and he returns for another season. Um, kicker, punter, returner. All of that is irrelevant. What's Alabama going to do at Holder? Well, do you think that uh, at this point, I guess it depends on who ends up being the starting quarterback. But I know at one point they had Tua being the starter and he was the holder. Right. So um, They lost a national championship caliber holder. No one's talking about that. Yeah. Uh, Should have been a finalist experience. for the holder of the year award had he not got injured. Really, that was – yeah, that was the – you know, the not winning a national championship as a starter, the not winning a Heisman, that's all secondary behind him not being able to get the recognition that he deserved for being such an incredible holder, uh, such a threat at that position, really threatened defenses. Absolutely. I mean, you, you had to respect Tua's holding ability, um, corralling different kinds of snaps, getting exactly where the kicker needs it. I mean, just uh, elite level holding. I actually wouldn't be surprised if, Say the Dolphins take him number five in the NFL draft, and the Dolphins GM comes up and says, "You know, we're we're really excited about about bringing a, a quality holder in here with a with a first round pick. It's it's atypical to to get a holder with a first round pick, but you know when you when you see a holder of this kind of of talent level, you you got to do something about that because you can lock that guy up for for a long time. You can hold at a high level well into your forties. And and Tua could could provide that for us. I, I very much think that Roger Goodell should take the stage in whatever modified NFL draft format they're doing this year in, in reaction to all the COVID-19 stuff and say, with the fifth overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft, the Miami Dolphins select Tua Tungavaloa, holder, Alabama. Hey, well, not only is he a holder, he's always holding it down. So it, it, to me, it plays. Um, but yeah, what about some of these other guys? Because you will have Will Reichard coming right. back from an injury, uh, a pretty significant hip injury that I think he ended up trying to come back too soon, made it worse, and then he pretty much didn't play for the rest of the season. So he's pretty much out all year. And Alabama still gets the, you know, the jokes about not having a kicker. I still believe they found the guy. He just wasn't able to play during his first year, really. But they have scholared along. They have um, Top Ron. He's going to be back. And, you know, Mike Bernier was the punter against Michigan, correct? Yes. So but, I'll be, you know. But he's that, gone, so he's, right. he's not 
I mean, he's he's not a factor anymore, right? He's he's gone, right? Yes, he's definitely gone. Okay. I think because he wasn't supposed to be back for last year, um, right? But he ended up, and they, I guess, got him another year of eligibility. Said he was a red shirt, and he was back on the team. Got added a little bit later to the roster, and which and hey, it worked out well way. for him. He got to yeah. punt in that Citrus Bowl and punted pretty well, so yeah. it was all worth it. And you know that that brought on a lot of questions from fans as to you know why that was you know from what we've talked about before it was probably a matter of you know Bernier just had much better bowl practices leading up to the game and Nick Saban said hey it's this kid's last game he's punted the best so let's give let's give him a shot. And Isn't it so, funny how the Citrus Bowl was a meaningless game and didn't matter at all up until kickoff and then the punter change and all of a sudden it had meaning. Yeah, that, do you yeah, notice that? that? Yeah, because a lot of people were like, oh, this must mean that Ty P. Ryan got in trouble for something. It must mean that he's been terrible in practice. And I think the consistency issue with him, like it is with Schuyler DeLong, just not to the same extent maybe, you know, it's it's concerning. But, you know, I think it's just a matter of Mike Bernier punted better, more consistently. And so the, the consistency factor at that position I think will be really important uh, moving forward. That is such an underrated position, and Alabama fans – have, have seen the importance of having a really good punter when it came to, to J.K. Scott and getting that sort of presence is, is not going to happen probably at that spot. I mean, J.K. Scott is, is him, I think he was drafted, what, in the fourth or fifth round? I think it was the fifth round by the Green Bay Packers, and that just doesn't happen very often for a punter. And it's because of how valuable, uh, you know, he was viewed as far as NFL teams are concerned. But they really need to try to get back to having more consistency at that position because – you know, the defense and where it was at last year as far as its struggles. There was a couple yeah. times where the punt game really put them in a bad situation, and the defense was not in a position to to mask those deficiencies. In fact, they went hand-in-hand hand and gave opposing offenses some unnecessary points. So I'll be very curious to see how punter uh, ends up playing out. I think the, the part of that position that interests me the most is Will Reichard, who is going to get a lot of run when we talk about kickers momentarily but Reichert is is someone who was projected to this level as both a place kicker and as a punter um he can do both well enough um to to compete and thrive at the division one level now they didn't want to do a ton with him both ways last year because he is a freshman and they're trying to manage his workload and make sure his body can handle all of the the rigors therein and of course having a, a a hip flexor injury that like you mentioned kept him out for almost all of last season doesn't necessarily help in terms of making his body more ready to handle a, a 13 plus game season of doing both place kicking and, and punting at a, at a high level but I, I do wonder if they will take the restrictor plate off of um, Will Reichert and allow him to really make a run at doing both or if because he didn't really get to fine-tune his body for a full college football season last season in 2019 like they hoped he would have they'll try to limit him just to place kicking and then give uh give Ty Perrine and Skylar DeLong their their fair shot at battling it out for for the punter spot so Will Reichert is one that interests me in um in the punting role and Unfortunately, we won't get to to see that like we just spent the first half of the podcast talking about. We probably won't get to see any spring practice this year, so we won't get to see if Reichert is taking some punts and potentially tuning himself up to compete for for both starting spots. But he's obviously going to have his uh, his hands full competing for the starting place kicker job because Joseph Bolivis is still 
on campus. And and yes, he had the the notorious miss late in the Iron Bowl that that threw him back into the the negatives in the court of public opinion with the Alabama fan base. But even before that, and all of these con all of these comments require the context of Alabama kickers, right? So uh, before those Iron Bowl, before that Iron Bowl performance, Joseph Bullivis wasn't like a Groza Award finalist by any stretch of the imagination. But in the context of Alabama kickers, he was performing relatively well. Was he not? Yeah, I, I mean, again, in the context of Alabama well. kickers. Yeah, and that's really in, it's it's in comparison. Um, yes, you know that's. I agree. I don't think he's a world beater as a punter. Or I mean, excuse me, as a kicker. But I certainly think that um, he was proven to be capable. It's just any time that there was a high pressure situation, it, whether it be you know during his first two seasons on campus, um, there was just a lot of situations where he wasn't able to get the job done in those crunch time moments, and that is viewed negatively when it comes to the fan base. As, as unfortunate as that is, the hope is that Will Reichard, from an ice-in-the-vein standpoint, uh, is able to bring some stability to the position. And I do uh, agree as far as him being a potential punter as well. That's something, you know, he showed some flashes in high school with that as well. He got some opportunities with Alabama to punt early in the season. Um, and, you know, I was kind of trying to think, you don't see too many guys who do both. But I do. I did recall recently Austin Sabair, who was a, a kicker and a punter for Oklahoma from 2015 to 2018, I'd forgotten that he was also their punter. He's now a kicker with the Cleveland Browns mm. and, and a pretty decent one. But I also found out or remembered that he was also their punter and pretty – effective in that role i think he averaged just under 42 yards a punt over his four-year career alabama um, would bite was, your arm off for that absolutely right so especially at this point and then he hit pretty much i think 80 percent of his field goals so he was able to pull up that dual role um for four straight seasons with the oklahoma sooners so it's, it is possible there are still guys nowadays that do both and will Riker is certainly capable and i do think you're right i think they just wanted to limit what they put on his shoulders as a true freshman and then the very unfortunate aspect of it was that he got injured and wasn't able to, to even handle what they were trying to put on his shoulders, and that happens. But we'll uh, we'll have to kind of just play the wait-and-see game to see where they hold him in regard to both the kicking job, which I would think he should be the heavy favorite for that, and then, of course, the punting job, which he'll also be in uh, competition with as far as him and Ty Piron. Yeah. Now, having, having laid out a, a relatively solid case for Joseph Bullivis to be a legitimate contender for the place kicking job. Will Riker did win it at the beginning of the year last year. So he's already done this is, is what right. I'm saying. So I think you're, I think you're uh, obviously correct in, in naming Will Riker a so-called heavy favorite for, for the place kicking job. That seems fair. I'm, I'm not criticizing you for that. The, the punter job is definitely more wide open. And I think you could argue that that is the only wide open job in the special teams market because Thomas Fletcher's returning is your long snapper. Uh, we, we know we, we already ran through place kicking where it's most likely will Riker. And if it's not him, it's Joseph Bullivis. That's pretty much your only, only options, a uh, holder, uh, I mean, Mac Jones, maybe if, if he's the starting quarterback, it depends on if they want to have their starting quarterback as the holder again, but he, he held into his absence last year and could certainly continue to do that. 
Um, and uh, the returner jobs, I mean, it's, it's obviously Waddle. I mean, no one is going to unseat Jalen Waddle at either returner spot after what he did in them last year. But the, the part that interests me more about return is are people going to kick to him? Like you and I were both very critical of all of these idiots in the SEC that continue to kick to Jalen Waddle. Are they actually going to stop now? Because they kind of need to. I, 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 you would think so. I mean, I, I've kind of wondered, though, um, and there's been situations in the past where starters have continued to have a return man role, but with Alabama's receivers and losing Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III to the NFL, with Jalen Waddle stepping up into a, a top role as far as the offense is concerned, he's probably going to be you know, the number two or maybe even the number one. You know, I could, from a talent standpoint, Jalen Waddle's always been up there, and I still love Devontae Smith, and he's certainly capable of being the number one option. But it also would not surprise me if Jalen Waddle ended up being the top option in the passing game. And if that happened, um, you know, does Nick Saban and company continue to roll him out as a punt returner, especially as a punt returner? Um, he is so dynamic, and he does threaten – you know, he's, he's what you would consider a game changer. So do you take him out of that role? I doubt it. I think they probably leave him in that role. Um, will he be the kick returner? Um, that I don't know. They might just limit him to one or the other. And my guess would be punt return. Um, right. and, and it would just depend on what other options they have. They have some dynamic athletes, uh, available to them. It's just a matter of how they want to end up using them. That's something else that we would have started to get a much better feel for, uh, in the spring and, and really in the spring game, you wouldn't have got to see these guys really make any sort of big returns, especially in the 8 day game because they don't actually return stuff. But you would have seen he was jogging out there to to take the kicks and see who some of the potential options were. And it was Waddle still that guy jogging out with the first team kick return or punt return team. If he was, then you could probably safely assume, okay, I guess he's probably going to continue to be that guy. So these are just things that we'll continue to have questions about throughout the the spring and, and probably the summer. And then we'll, I guess, you know, if everything goes according to plan and, and hopefully we're able to start getting some answers to these uh, early in the spring and we can really start talking about it. But at this point, there are a lot of unknowns 